to be able to share. Uh, it really is a privilege to be able to share uh, anytime uh, from this uh, context or any other context, just be able to share what God's saying, what God's doing in the world. Um, and this morning, it's going to be a bit interesting because I've got so many different thoughts in my head, uh, and we're going to see, I've got some ideas of where this is going to go, but God can always do other things otherwise. Um, what I find interesting, though, is that uh, always whenever I have an opportunity to share, when it's kind of a last-minute thing like this, and it's not something like thoroughly prepared, let's say, it always seems to come out to whatever, what God's doing in my life right now. Where's God speaking to me? What's God dealing with me in, in my personal space at this moment? And, uh, and, and what's amazing about that right now for me is, is over the last probably a week to two weeks or so, this beautiful thing of just restoration that I've seen over and over again. I've seen some relationships restored. I've seen some financial situations restored. I've seen some marriages restored. I've seen some business situations restored. I've seen God just going through this restoring process over and over and over again. Over the last few weeks, different people around me in their lives. And uh, it started me thinking around that whole restoration process and how that happens and how the Father actually invites us as his children, as his family, in that process. So it's not a process where restoration happens and we get to sit back and go, wow, that's amazing. Well, that's good. Oh, that's like a show we watch, okay? We're actually involved in the restoration process. We are actually part of the workers in that restoration process. Um, uh, there was a a few years ago, um, about two or three years ago, I had the privilege of traveling uh, with a dear friend, um, Danny Silk. He was here in South Africa, and we were doing some traveling together. And we're on a uh, plane traveling from uh, Port Elizabeth, flying down to Cape Town for a series of meetings in Cape Town. <clears throat> and we got on this plane, and um, I think it was Safair flight, and we, were, we got right up front, so we had a bit of leg room there. We're sitting right up front, and there's Dan and I sitting there. We get in the plane, and typically as you do, once you settle in, you know you know you got a good hour, two hours on a plane. You kind of pull whatever, your book out, or your phone out, or iPad out, or newspaper, whatever it is, you're kind of locked in, you know? I'm not particularly a talkative person on the plane, nor is Danny a particular talkative person when he travels. Both of us, we talk too much for a living, so we, we, we figure we just we sit quietly when we sit quietly, you know? And um, so he's on his, his phone doing some things, and I'm doing some things of mine, and eventually this, this uh, older gentleman comes sits down beside me. The, the, I see the stewardess um, help this guy in and sit him down beside me, and... Um, sitting there and just to be polite you know you got to be polite when you're in a plane like that and so oh hello hello you know and this is a a particularly talkative older gentleman and he wanted to have a conversation which is fine I get it I understand so we start chatting a bit about what's going on what's happening and uh, what we're doing and what he's doing why is he leaving Port Elizabeth going down to Cape Town he's visiting his daughter that's amazing that's great and uh, in the conversation, you know, he tells me he's, he's uh, well into his 80s, you know, um, that he's, he's well into his 80s and uh, he can't hear very well, I need to speak loud, you know, and um, he's quite a, a bit of a rougher guy and so his language is a bit colorful as well, which is all fine. And, um, and so we're having this great conversation, and, and uh, the plane takes off, you know, and we're up in the sky now, and I'm, I keep, you know, trying to do the polite thing. You know, you're like you're talking, and the conversation kind of hits a law, and so you get on your device or your paper or whatever, sending the signal, hey, I'm done talking now, you know? But this older gentleman didn't pick up on the signals. He kept pushing the conversation. And as he keeps pushing the conversation, so I put the thing down, we talk a bit more. So eventually it gets quiet, and I'm doing, playing some game or something on my phone, I don't remember. Playing some game, and he says, he says, he says, he says boy, boy. Well, I said, yes, sir, yes, sir. He said, he said do, do you think you can help me to the, to the toilet? I got a, I got a wee. <laughs> Not exact those words, but <laughs> I was like, um, I was like, oh, uh, yeah, sure, sure, no problem. So I get up, you know, and I, I go to help him up, and, and I grab his arms like this, and as I go to grab his arms, I look down, 
And he's, as he, this is all happening as he's standing up. As he's standing up, I'm looking down going, this guy, it's, he's, I gotta pull this guy up. He's, he's like quite difficult, you know? Why, why isn't he helping more with the standing up process? I'm looking down, as I look down, I see one foot. Okay, great, so where's the other foot at? Where's the other, wait, there's no foot, there's no leg. This guy's a one-legged man, and I have to help him get to the toilet. So we stand up, and now I realize this guy has only one good leg. And I look down, and he goes, oh yeah, I goes, my other leg, because I got diabetes, they took it off last year. Uh, thanks for telling me in advance, you know? So there I am, I got this guy, and so I'm trying to get him to walk forward, but there's no crutch, there's no walk or anything, and I didn't realize when he came in, they brought him in in a wheelchair, because I was too focused in other spaces. So now we gotta hop, probably, from this area here, about, about three or four meters, to the toilet here, right? On a plane that's moving, by the way, okay? It's not a stable platform, it's a plane. So this guy now is doing his one-leg hop, okay? Don't forget he's well into his 80s. He's not the healthiest of guys. We get about halfway there, and he looks at me with this fainting look. Like, what's wrong? And you can see he starts to shake. This leg's not moving. And the hop's kind of, that's not hopping. It's kind of just like this. That's about it, you know? And I realize he's relying on me more and more, and I have to hold him more and more. And eventually, we're right next to the toilet. We eventually make it to the toilet, and now I realize I'm facing the door of the toilet. And if you've ever been on an airplane toilet, it's not like, like, like they're, you know, massive spaces, right? They're not like palatial uh, VIP condos or anything, okay? But these tiny little boxes, just big enough for one person. Now I'm thinking, how do I take this guy whose leg is starting not to work so well, the one good one he's got? How do I get him into the bathroom without me being in the bathroom with him? And then the, the thought is, how do I, what happens now? This guy now has to, how do pants and who's gonna do all that? <laughs> so now I'm stuck in this position. The door's here, I'm thinking, how are we gonna turn this guy around? And he looks at me with this longer look in his face, and he's starting to shake, and he's starting to fall like this, slowly starting to slide down like this. I quickly grab him, and I pull him to me. As I pull him to me, his face is now against my face, like this, and he goes, he goes boy, boy, my one good hopper's failing. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I can tell, I can tell. So I got this guy, I'm holding him like this, he's one good hopper, I'm squeezing him. We're like two lovebirds on a plane somewhere, you know, just hanging out here, big squeeze, face to face, the sky like this, and I'm desperately looking around for help. Is there anybody here, there's three men in this front row, there's Danny Silk, my good friend sitting there, and everybody's busy. Like this, you know? nobody's, I'm like, hey, 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 hey guys, hey, hey, nobody can, plane roaring, nobody can hear me, hey, hey, help, can somebody help me, I'm holding this guy face to face, getting all lovey-dovey and everything else, I'm looking down the aisle, and way down the back of the aisle, there's a hostess, a stewardess, way back in the aisle, and she's busy serving people, I'm like, come help, please, help anybody, help, nothing, nobody, the hopper starts failing more, the fact that I'm carrying this guy, I'm not the strongest dude, both my hoppers start to fail. <laughs> so now we're both kind of like, oh, this is not going to go good. At the last minute, a guy here on the side, on this side, catches my eye. And I'm like, help, help, help. He jumps up. He grabs the man from the back. We set the guy down on the kind of the stewardess bench there. Whew, shoo, okay, okay. We pause for a second. How we, this isn't going to work. This, we got to get you in there and bench and everything. This isn't going to work. There's no stewardesses anywhere around. Nobody. They're all busy, busy, busy. So eventually we get the guy up, we get him back to his seat, we sit him back down, I sit back down, and I say, I'm sorry about that. No, no, it's fine, it's fine, fine. Only got one good hopper, it's fine. No worries, no worries. So the stewardess comes up after a while, and as she comes up, she's like, can I help you? Well, we could have used that about 10 minutes ago, couldn't we? I said, well, this gentleman, and he says, yeah, I got him. 
you know, <laughs> and he used some colorful language there, and uh, he needed to go to the toilet. And she goes, well, you're just, sure you're just going to have to wait until we land. Why didn't I say that? <laughs> so you're just going to have to wait till you land, okay? Anyway, we get to the, air, we get to the airport, we land, we wait, we wait, we wait, they get to start getting people off, they have to wait to get him a wheelchair. Eventually, as we're getting off, we're walking towards the airport now, they eventually get him off in a wheelchair. He comes by us, and there's all kinds of language coming out about how bad he's still got to use the toilet, and nobody's helping him get to the toilet, you know? This poor guy. There was that experience on a plane where nobody was available to help. The stewardess that were supposed to be trained to help weren't watching attentively. There was nothing happening. Contrast that with last year, myself and my boy Keenan, uh, 13 years old, were, uh, and my other boy, Jaden, nine, were traveling back from America. It would spend about two and a half weeks or so in the U.S. in October, <clears throat> September, October. We're coming back, and uh, we're flying on the plane. And as we got on the plane, Keenan wasn't feeling so well. I was like, God, oh, I'm not feeling so great. Oh, you're probably just tired. It's been a long holiday or whatever, you know, probably just tired. Um, it'll be okay. We get on the plane. It's night flying. Now, you're at night, and everybody's sleeping. Everybody's sleeping. Everybody's trying to sleep. Jaden's on this side. I'm kind of this side. Keenan's on this side. And then everybody's pretty well knocked out. And then suddenly I feel this just panic, 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 panic. And I wake up and I see Keenan climbing over me. And I'm, he's like, and I'm like, oh no, oh no, I see what's happening, right? I'm like, ah, 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 trying to, not on me, just anybody, not on me, I don't care, it's not on me, you know? <laughs> Keenan kind of flows himself over, over me. And there's the, uh, the, air, uh, the aisle there in the air, airplane. And it, boom, and off it goes. <laughs> there is, exactly, yeah, not, not pretty, you know? Noises, the whole thing. It just wasn't pretty, okay? And I'm like, oh, man, what are we going to do now? Sheesh, okay. So I kind of crawl over Jaden and crawl over the mess and go back and get to one of the stewardess and say, listen, my son, he's sick. And the thing and completion. Hey, man, those stewardess were there. In a moment, they sprinkled some magic fairy dust in that thing. It congealed all up and smelled like fresh lemons everywhere. It was amazing. They scooped it up. No problem. They said, listen, lay him down. We got some spare seats back here. Pulled me and my son, Jaden, back in the spare seats over there. And the next six hours in that flight, every hour, the stewardess would come to me and say, listen, I just checked on your son. He's doing just fine. And this, every hour, they checked on us. They checked on my boy, and they checked on myself and Jaden back in the back. They watched over us. They took care of the situation. Very different from the other context. One good hopper man. <laughs> What's the difference there? Why was one such a good experience, one not such a great experience? And it was all in the way that those staff members had been trained. They had been trained in a way which changed the way they thought about things, and their whole goal was to restore one staff grouping was whole goal was to restore, make this as easy as restore the situation back, redeem the situation. The other staff members, I don't know how they were trained, but it was nothing to do with restoration. And as we look at this in a biblical context, we see that this is exactly what the Father is doing with us for generations he's been about this business, of restoring, of changing the way we think, so we partner with him in the restoration process. There's a beautiful, beautiful story in, uh, in uh, uh, Exodus, the first few chapters of Exodus, and the whole book about Exodus is the Exodus or the leaving of the children of Israel from Egypt, right? <clears throat> and, and many times we can get stuck debating the realities of the story and how the story happened and the details of the story and the scientific facts behind the story and how it could have happened. And, and I think we miss the point when we get looking at the final, when we get looking at those details and trying to debate whether it happened, didn't, how it, how it happened, we miss the point of the story. We miss the point of what the Father was actually showing us and what he was actually doing for the children of Israel in that moment. You see, before they ever went into the moment when, when he was speaking to Moses, and he told Moses up front that Pharaoh was a very stubborn guy. Basically, his heart is stone. 
that this guy is fixing his ways, but don't you worry, I'm going to force his hand, basically, to make him, force him to release you. So much so that he's gonna chase you out of Egypt, okay? So already going up front, God knew that this guy probably wasn't gonna move. God entered a process of sending plagues to the land of Egypt to try to change the thinking of Pharaoh, knowing that his thinking probably wasn't gonna change up front. If we're not careful, we get focused there again on what he's doing with Pharaoh, but actually he was communicating to the children of Israel a different story. You see, when you look at what the plagues took place, not only was he, yes, he was affecting the thinking of the people of Egypt and Pharaoh in terms of the various plagues, was a specific attack, if you will, on the various gods that they worshiped, but beyond that, the children of Israel at this point, we're very aware of the whole creation process. They're very aware of the redeeming or the restoration process God was involved in, and that was part of their story in terms of their lineage and their heritage, and that they were going to be redeemed someday, just like that God had spoke to Abraham and Isaac. They were going to be redeemed someday uh, and have their own space, their own land. They'll be completely free the way they were originally meant to be someday. But now they were in slavery. They were stuck in, their sla- in slavery. They were embonded uh, uh, and burdened, uh, beaten and diseased and, 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 and malnutritioned, um, hard work, hard labor because of their poor choices. And God was going to go the process of redeeming them. But in that process of redeeming, he was communicating, this is what I do. So in the very nature of the plagues themselves, if you look at it carefully, he was actually showing that I can, I'm the one who created life in the beginning, but I'm also the one who can take it away in terms of I am the one in charge of this thing. So, so if, you look at the, if you look at the various plagues, things like, things like uh, uh, causing floods to happen across the land. See, God separated the waters from the land in creation process, didn't he? So we had land to walk on. In the plague process, let's flood the land. Let's, turn, let's take where I, I put light into the situation of the world and the creation. Now I'm going to take the light away and make everything dark. If you go through the plagues one by one, you see that he actually he was reversing the creation process. The very process he went through in the beginning of time in the first chapters of Genesis, going through day by day, creating things, God went through in a process of reversing all that place, all those things to show you, hey, I can give and I can take away. But what's even more beautiful than that is that the first couple of plagues that he sent into Egypt, the very first few, the the sorcerers, the magicians of Pharaoh could reproduce those plagues. But what was even more amazing, they could reproduce, but the one thing they couldn't do is take it back to normal. And God showed that. God would go in, the plague would come in, and then remove the plague. So the magicians can say, hey, we can come in, we can create chaos, we can take this beautiful creation and we can create chaos. Look, we can do the same thing your God's doing, we can create chaos, but God come back in and take the chaos away and bring the order back and restore it the way it was meant to be. And the children of Israel are watching this, understanding the creation story, watching these plagues play out, watching this chaos process and then restoring process, chaos process, restoring process. And then the pinnacle moment is, the, is the, the, what we call the Passover. The night that the, 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 the spirit, of angel, the spirit of God came over that city and took the firstborn of everyone there. But God said, listen, put this stuff, put the blood on your, on your doorpost there and I'm gonna pass over and I will not take your firstborn. I'm gonna show you that I can take life but I can also, I can also uh, reserve life, I can restore life. That I don't have to take it. That there's something that can cover you and bring restoration. 
This whole process is constantly what the Father is doing among us, is restoring. My question to you this morning is what needs restoring in and around you? What relationships need restoring? What business deals need restoring? What uh, 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 organizational situations need restoring? What physical ailments need restoring in your body? See, the whole restoration process is what we call a change of thinking. The reason he wants to restore because he wants to change the way we think so we think more like heaven. We think more like we are living in a place of heavenly context, heavenly realm, and therefore we rule and reign effectively. He's constantly working on the way we think. And we can see this over in Acts, in Acts chapter uh, 26. There's a great passage of scripture. Uh, Acts chapter 26, starting in verse 19. This is Paul before King Agrippa. And Paul says this, Paul says, uh, Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. Now, if you read through that passage carefully, you see there are three things that took place there. He said, first of all, I wasn't disobedient to the heavenly vision or the revelation you gave me. And then he goes a little phrase there, and then he goes, basically, I was, I was teaching the idea of repentance, but I also taught them to do deeds that were in keeping with their repentance. In other words, repentance meaning a change of thinking. So it means the word there in the Greek means a change of thinking. That the revelation came, the way the revelation was taught and engaged with, the way we engaged you, it changed the way we thought, and then our behavior, our actions were in keeping with the change of thinking. Most of the time, though, here's what we do. God says something. Something happens in our midst, and we forget the change of thinking part, and we go straight to try to do it. Do it. And then we end this cycle of works, behavior. We've got to go to more meetings. We've got to attend more prayer meetings. We've got to worship harder, worship longer, worship deeper. We've got to do more, do more, do more, do more, versus saturate in the revelation God gave us so our thinking changes. The do more is an easy process. It's not doing anymore. It's relaxing. It's at peace. You're now working and living from peace versus trying to chase peace in your life. Probably 90% of the coaching I do in businesses and privately are trying to help people get back to a place of peace in their life. Peace in their family, peace in their office, peace with employees, peace in their relationships, peace in their home. Because we're chasing, chasing, chasing peace. We're chasing this restoration, trying to get back, trying to get back, trying to get back. And God said, I've done the work already. Look at the stories I've given you over and over and over again, how I can do it over and over and over again. Let me be a partner with you in the restoration process. Let me help you change the way you think. Now what's fascinating about changing the way you think is that according to science, there are effectively three ways to change the way you think, only three ways. This came out from a Harvard study around leadership, by the way, and they developed a massive course which they're doing all over the world, and they teach these three ways to change, change the way you think. Guess what the very first way they acknowledged, Harvard study acknowledged, the very first way they changed the way you think. Unexplained natural phenomena. We call those miracles. Harvard recognized that, but they can't use that miracle word because that's too close to God, you know? So, so they call unexplained natural phenomena. The number one way to change the way you think is miracles. The number one way to change the way you think are miracles. You say, why do you always go always push for the supernatural? Why do you ask for a parrot to come back and a cat to come back and a this thing? Why are you doing that? Because we know the number one way to change the way you think is to see God do miracles in our life. That's why we're going after those things. 
Because we want to see the Father change us, change the way we think, be involved in the restoration process with him. Because I'm telling you, when your thinking changes on a situation and a context, when you're no longer letting the context or the circumstances govern the way you see things and think, and you're letting the circumstances of heaven determine the way you think, you'll no longer be limited by the circumstances around you. Most of us get so intrigued with the circumstances around us, we let those things limit us. We look at our economy, and we let the circumstances of our economy and our nation limit what's actually going on in our life. We look at the circumstances of our marriages, the difficulty of those spaces at times, and we let those circumstances limit what God can do in an amazing marriage. We look at the circumstances of our children and our children's lives and the choices they're making, the poor choices they're making, and we let those circumstances limit us in what we're believing for the Father for because we don't have the perspective of heaven. There's a reason why we share stories, testimonies of miraculous things as much as possible. Every time we hear one, we want to share it because we want those miracles. We know it's the number one way to change the way we think so we can partner with the Father in the restoration process. I want to encourage you to come tonight. The youth have been away uh, for a couple days. I was down there yesterday with them at the youth camp, uh, sharing for a few hours. Uh, they're already seeing some great things happen down there. I want you to come tonight because they're going to do some testimonies. They're going to share stories of what the Father has done with them over the last two days. I've heard some of those stories already. I've seen some of those stories already. I want you to come tonight to hear some of those stories so your, your mindset can change about what can happen in young teenagers' lives so we can be involved in the restoration process. Because until our thinking changes, until the revelation of the Father changes the way we think, the actions will never fully produce the fruit that God wants. So Paul was telling us, being obedient to the heavenly revelation of repentance, they keep, they, they, their deeds are in keeping with their repent, repentance. Their actions or behavior are in keeping with the change of thinking has happened. The second way that our thinking changes. First way is miracles. We've got to trust God for miracles. We've got to believe God for miracles. We've got to keep our eyes focused on the things of the Father, the things of heaven. We've got to read these stories over and over again. We've got to hear the stories of each other so miracles can invade our thinking and shift the way we think about things. But the number two way that Harvard found thinking changes, we stumble into a new way of doing it. <laughs> we, these are Harvard scientists. And the best two options they come up with so far, miracles and we stumble into a new way of thinking. <laughs> I think that's amazing. What it says is basically we're just going along through life and suddenly we bumble into something and go, oh, that's incredible. Do you see how that works? Let's do it again. <laughs> and it works again and again and again. Most of the great ideas that I know of in business come because somebody stumbled into it. And then we teach it like it's some grand idea. No, I had this amazing idea, and we just did it this way. No, you stumbled into it. Let's be honest. How'd you find that idea? Well, actually, I, I did, uh, I did, it just kind of happened. <laughs> we stumble into new things. But the only way you can stumble into new things is if you keep on the journey of life. The only way you can stumble is if you're moving forward. You can't stumble if you're standing still. You can't stumble if you're standing like this. You only stumble when you begin to walk. And sometimes we say, but I don't know what God wants. I don't know what God wants me to do. I hear it all the time. I don't know what the Father wants me to do. What's my purpose in life? What should I be doing? Where should I be volunteering? I don't necessarily know either. But what I do know is you're probably not going to find out until you start taking some steps. There's a wonderful passage of Scripture that says uh, um, uh, um, uh, in, in, in the New Testament talking about exploring, or sorry, uh, 
finding what the perfect pleasing will of the Father is. When you read that in the Greek, the perfect pleasing will, when you read it in English, it sounds like there's this narrow line we've got to find. There's the perfect, which one's the perfect? How do, how do you find this? No, no. The whole idea in the Greek is exploration process. Finding means exploring what is the perfect pleasing will of the Father. How do you explore? Is that it? Well, let's see. Oh, no, wrong one. Nope, no. Okay, try again. Oh, no, wrong one. Wrong one. Okay. Oh, this one is a good one. Let's stay on this line right here. That's how it happens. But we're so afraid of failing, we're so afraid of getting it wrong that we don't do anything. What if we do it wrong? We live a restoring miracle God. It's okay. <laughs> it's not you anyway. <laughs> he just wants you on part of the journey. He enjoys your presence. He enjoys your personality. He enjoys the way you think. He enjoys the way you laugh. He enjoys the way you love. He enjoys the way you engage people. He just wants you on the journey. He's doing all the work anyway. What if I pray for somebody and they don't get healed? Love on them. What if I trust God for this thing and it doesn't happen? Celebrate anyway, because you stepped out. That's how you find the perfect, pleasing will of the Father. And as you find that, you stumble into, <laughs> to some degree, the perfect, pleasing will of the Father. Isn't it interesting? It's always in hindsight. Most of the time, it's in hindsight. We can go, oh yeah, I can see God work there, and he did there, and he did this, and did that, and that, and that's why I'm here. Would you have planned your life exactly like it is right now, where you are? Would you have thought half the things that have happened to you would have happened to you? I know there's no way I would have thought that. There's no way I would have thought that this poor, southern, uneducated kid from North Carolina, first job was running moonshine with my dad. That I end up in this context now. No way I would have thought that. But God has a way of just navigating, 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 taking, even when you do really royally blow it, restoring the process and getting you back on track. Just keep moving. It's the only way you can stumble into a new way of thinking. And then the third thing, the third way that Harvard decided was the best way to change thinking is your language. What do you speak? There's scripture after scripture after scripture about what we're speaking, how we're speaking, how our words carry power, how our words carry weight. Not just the words we speak, but the words we think internally to ourselves probably have even more power than the words we speak in terms of our context and circumstances and understanding. What words are you speaking? What words are you using on a regular daily basis? At our home, we often try to watch how we speak. If we're having a bad day, if you say, how was your day? When, oh, it's just terrible. Oh, it's just a horrendous day. We try to modify our language a bit. <laughs> we, don't want to acknowledge, we don't want to ignore the fact it was a bad day. But rather than say, oh, it's just a terrible day. Just terrible. Just terrible. That disgusting day. No, no. We'd soon say, how was your day? Ah, not so great. They notice the difference straight away in how you feel. How's your day? Ah, it's terrible. How are you feeling? Pretty terrible. Hey, how was your day? Oh, not so great. Big difference in the way you're feeling there, isn't it? Which makes a diff big difference in the way you're thinking. Which makes a di big difference in the way you're behaving. I always find it interesting when people say, you know, so how was this thing? How was, the, how, you know, someone's sick. How are you feeling? Oh, I feel like I'm going to die. Really? <laughs> Sheesh. Careful. Let's not do it in front of people. Okay, let's maybe go on the side if you're going to die. Okay, you know? <laughs> Watch our language. What are we speaking to ourselves? What are we speaking over each other? What are we speaking over our family? What are we speaking over our spouse? Well, my wife, and she just, and we complain and whinge and moan about our spouse. What are we speaking over them? 
One, one, one story I've never forgotten about. Yonggi Cho, largest church in the world for a period of time in Korea, absolutely has literally changed the face of Korea in terms of the church and its, and its, its impact in Korea. And one of the stories there is, is early in the days of the church growing and moving, there was a, a young mom comes to uh, Pastor Cho and was asking about her daughter, and her daughter was involved in uh, former prostitution, basically. And she's like, my daughter's prostitution, we're arguing and fighting, and I've been praying, and nothing's happening, and we argue and fight, and I'm praying, and nothing's happening. And Cho said, why don't you see her, rather than see her as the prostitute that she is, why don't you see her through the eyes of the cross and grace and see her as the Father sees her, and then speak to her in that manner. So the mom changed the way she saw her daughter, and she started speaking to her daughter differently. She started speaking to her daughter as though she was a partner in the kingdom already. Started speaking to her daughter as though she is and was a princess of the king. Within one year, her daughter was a believer and now leading a home group. One year. She'd been going for five or six years at that point. Fighting, fighting, fighting. Language has a powerful influence of the way we think and how others think. What language are you speaking over the circumstances around you? What language are you speaking over your spouses, your children, your coworkers? You got that one employee, that one boss that just drives you crazy. You know that one that just gets under your skin. That one boss that just wanna drive you and drive you and drive you. What are you speaking over their life? Because God wants you to partner with him in the process of restoration. And what if God has you there with that irritating person because you're the one he wants to help partner in the process of restoring that individual from a broken state to a healthy, whole emotional state? What if you're the one? You don't know unless we change the way we speak of the situations and circumstances. So how does our thinking change? How do we take the heavenly revelation that we've been given to bring a process of repentance, a process of the change of thinking so our behavior of us and those around us is different? Miracles. We trust the Father for miracles. Consistently, over and over and over and over again. We stumble into it. And as we keep walking one day, one step at a time. And we watch our language. We watch our language. When the children of Israel were coming out of the promised land, they saw miracle after miracle, and God was trying to show them, hey, change your thinking, change your thinking, change your thinking, change your thinking. I'm going to restore, I'm restoring, I'm restoring, change your thinking. The way he released them in the plagues thing was a, change, a restoration process. Going through the Red Sea was a restoration process. Coming into the desert was a restoration process. They got stuck in the desert because of what they thought. They got stuck there 40 years and then when they eventually did get to the promised land, the first city they go after, and some dude in the, in the camp says, hey, you know what, there's a bit of gold here, I'm gonna keep it for a rainy day, and God stops everything, says, wait a minute, go after this one. Why? Because that one family, that one individual, the thinking had reverted back to the old way of thinking, all about me, my, and I, versus what are you doing with us, Father? And God said, I cannot have that in the promised land. I cannot have this in place of freedom and safety because the moment you start thinking about yourself and your situation and your details and start taking from others because you need, the moment that enters in, we destroy this beautiful place we're trying to make. We stop the restoration process. October 12, 2018, Bristol Airport in the UK there was a plane flying in, a Boeing 757, full of passengers. The captain's name was Brenda Wasink. There were strong crosswinds blowing, a storm had come in. 
A storm was coming in. There's a YouTube video of this. You can look and find it on YouTube. The storm blown in. There's winds of about 50 miles an hour, about 80 kilometers an hour, blowing across wind, across, directly uh, across the runway. The plane was coming in. The plane had the land. Typically what happens in those situations, uh, typically what happens when a plane lands, if you know, if you watch any plane land, if you've been in a plane, the plane lands with the nose going forward, correct? <laughs> okay, we're going this direction, plane lands like this, coming into the runway. With a strong crosswind coming in, the pilot was trained in a way to know that I know the plane needs to go this way, but I've got to apply what they call crab and slip technique. Crab and slip. What it is, is they turn the plane sideways to the runway, and they fly a bit forward, but they slip down. They fly a bit forward this way and slip down. And that way, the plane moves in the direction of the runway, but it's facing this way. So you can imagine the passengers on the plane. We're going in for a landing. Hey, why is the runway there? And we're, hey, what's going on? The wing's here. We're going, hey, what's going on here? You know? But if you watch this plane come in, because of the crosswinds, the plane was able to land safely because the pilot was trained in a way to think differently than what the normal way of thinking would be. Any one of us in that pilot seat in that position would have tried to land the plane like this, cross and come over, the plane would have flipped, and we'd have lost all 80 to 100 people on the plane. But because they were trained and engaged in a way which changed the way they thought, they were able to redeem or restore the situation and land the plane safely. See, the way you think about your life and your circumstances is crucially important. The way you think about your difficult situation right now in your life is crucially important. And the Father's big thing he's trying to do with you is give you revelation to change the way you think. I wonder if you'd stand with me, please. I'm going to wrap up in prayer this morning. But if you want someone to pray with you, process with you a bit, we're going to be down front here, happy to do that. But I want to encourage you, whatever situation you're struggling with in your life right now, whether it be job, whether it be family, whether it be school, whether it be income, whether it be a physical space, emotional space, whatever's going on, the place where, you, where your big mountain is right now, can I ask you this morning to engage the Father and let Him change the way you think about the situation? Trust him for a miracle. Keep moving forward and stumble into a new solution. Change the way you speak and watch the stories that begin coming out of this house. Watch the miracles that begin happening simply because we're willing to partner with the Father in restoring everything that he's trying to do in our lives. Father, I want to thank you this morning that you're actively engaged with us, that you're actively working in every single situation right now. No matter how big it is, no matter how small it is, we are concerned about something, you are concerned about it as well because you love us and you want to partner with us. Father, I pray today that thinking would be changing in this room right now, that you'd be doing surgery on our mindsets and our belief sets and our value systems, that we would see the world around us the way you see it that we'd see every person around us the way you see them. We'd see them through the eyes of Jesus. That we would see miracles happening day after day after day, and that not just our thinking in this church would change, but the thinking of our city would change. The thinking of our nation would change because of supernatural intervention on your behalf. That we would keep moving forward, no matter the circumstance, no matter the situation, we keep taking one day, one step at a time. And that we'd be speaking words of faith 
words of love, words of grace over every situation in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.